The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We have gathered today because Jesus Christ is worthy. He is worthy because he is risen in victory over death and the grave. What I want to invite you to do for the next few minutes is to join me in considering the reality and the necessity of his victory over death and the power of his resurrection. We're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. If you do not bring one, there's one under a chair directly under you or in front of you. And we're on page 961 in the Chair Bible. So if you would turn there as we prepare to read and to look together at the Word of God. Now, I have two intentions in this message. First is, for those of you that are believers, is to help further prepare you. How do you discuss the things of faith, particularly with a person who is skeptical? Secondly, my desire... <clears throat> is to speak to those of you who would be skeptical about the things of Christianity, the claims that it makes, and particularly the claim as it relates to the resurrection. The Bible answers these difficulties in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 20. So Joseph, you come and read the word. Would you stand, please? 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that he raised Christ, who he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Father, We proclaim this truth to be astounding, that you have been raised from the dead, and we confess that we stake our entire lives on this truth. So, Father, I pray that you would bring with clarity the word today. We confess that if you do not provide the fruit, there will be none. If you do not open eyes and open hearts, they will stay shut and closed. So, Father, we rely on you this morning. We pray that you be pleased in this worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tim Keller recently said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said at all? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like the teachings of Jesus. The issue results 
around whether or not he is risen from the dead. This is the main idea of the argument that I put forward today, that the Christian faith rests on the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. In verses 12 and 13, Paul puts forward the dilemma or the argument that's going on in Corinth, particularly in the Corinthian church. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And what they're discussing is the future bodily resurrection of believers. So Corinth was doing what is very common today. You take and you mix a little bit of what the Bible says and a little bit or a whole lot of what the culture says and you mix them together and you come up with, I feel. I feel like this is the truth. And here's what their conclusion was. There's no future resurrection from the dead. That's illogical. It's not possible. It's not philosophically plausible. Paul says, all right, if that's true, then Jesus has not risen from the dead. And if Jesus is not risen from the dead, that has all kinds of implications for Christians. It has all kinds of implications for all of humanity. So what are those? It cites five of them. If Christ has not been raised, then Christian preaching is in vain and the Christian faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and as our faith is in vain. Vain means empty or of no advantage or an absolute waste of time. So if Christ has not been raised, I am wasting my time right now. If Christ has not been raised, we have all wasted our time gathering together and so have every church across the planet today and any day who have gathered in the name of Christ. Because if Christ has not raised, then our faith is rendered useless. So quote, without Christ's resurrection, the gospel is false. Therefore, preaching it and believing it would be absolutely useless. Second claim, if Christ has not been raised, then Christians are misrepresenting God. <laughs> now, that's very common in this part of the country for somebody to say, God told me, watch out. It's very common for us to attach what we want or like and assign God to it. And here's what he's saying. We are even found to be representing God because we have testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So if your conclusion is right, those of you who have come up with this idea that there's no resurrection of the dead, then we have been testifying to the fact that God raised Christ from the dead and we have misrepresented or we are false witnesses. That's quite literally what it means. We are false witnesses to what we're claiming about Christ. So to continue in this false claim of the resurrection would be to misrepresent God. Now that's a foolish thing to do. And it's also a serious indictment on us to misrepresent God himself. So let me just simply say it this way. If, if there is no resurrection, then Christians are the greatest frauds in history who have deceived millions of people 
into believing something that is not true. So, if Christ is not been raised, we are misrepresenting God. And if Christ is not been raised, then our faith is in vain. Both of these have to do with the ludicrous nature of the Christian faith if there is no resurrection. He then cites three more reasons. Now, these become more personal to Christians, more painful, if you will. Number three, if Christ has not been raised, then the Christian faith is useless and Christians are still in their sin. Our claim as Christians is we've been forgiven through Christ. So he's saying, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's useless. It's it's of no value whatsoever. And here's how useless it is. If Christ has not been raised, then you're still in your sins. According to verse 22, there are two states. There's the state of Adam, what we've inherited from our forefather who sinned and sin and death has been passed to all of us. Apart from Christ, we are still in this state of death and perishing. But if in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ, we have believed on him, we have been born again, we have been changed by his grace, there is the hope of a future bodily resurrection and peace with God forever. But if there is no resurrection, we are still in our sins. We are not forgiven, but condemned. And the reason we are condemned is because Christ is still dead. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's just the book right before 1 Corinthians. It's going to use the word counted in a minute. Uh, So let me give you a a ludicrous thing of what counted doesn't mean. I was interacting with a a gentleman. I was inviting him to worship with us. And... uh, Another person was there in the room who obviously goes to church or at least, I don't know, maybe it was just a snide comment. And I was saying to the individual, if you come, I'd like for you to come up and, and, and introduce you or speak to me after the service so I know you're there. And the dude from the corner says, so it'll count. Now, it flew slap all over me. And I turned and I said, you know that's not how it works. Now, for those of you, and I'm trying to be rude to you here in what I'm saying, God's not impressed because you're at church today. It doesn't count. Okay? That's not how it works. We don't do things to earn God's favor. If, listen, if that's how it works, Jesus wasn't necessary at all. If, if you can earn it, he didn't need to come. But here's what happened. Romans 4, verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. So here's what happened. On the cross, Jesus, the sinless Savior, died in our place and bore the wrath of God on our behalf. That's why it turned dark. He was suffering what we all deserved. He didn't deserve it, but he suffered and took it in our place. He died. God died. Placed in a grave, and three days later, he rose again. Why? The answer's right here. He was raised for our justification. Now, this is crucial. 
Jesus didn't just die to forgive you. Jesus died to make you right with God. That means because of justification, it's a big theological concept, it's a word we don't use much, we have been made right with God because the rightness or the righteousness of Jesus has been applied to us. So when we stand before holy God, it's not us saying, look what I did. It's not what we're going to do. We're going to say, look at what Jesus did. And that is counted as righteousness. Our trusting and hoping in Christ. And listen, there is no justification if there is no resurrection. And not only are we still in our sins, we are not right with God. Next. If Christ has not been raised, then Christians who have died have perished. You say, well, that's redundant. No, it's not. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in Christ, those who fall asleep trusting in Christ for something more, have perished. That means they're going to face the final judgment. There's future destruction before them. There's no hope for them because the hope is in the resurrection of Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. My freshman year at Wake Forest University, I went into my Western civilization class. Just think typical professor, whatever you have in your mind, round glasses, disheveled hair, bow tie, the whole deal. He comes in with his books, drops them on the table. He leans into the table and looks at us and says these words, first thing out of his mouth. You're born, you die, the worms eat you, end of story. There will be no discussion of religion in this class. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is Western civilization. How do you not discuss religion in Western civilization? What it meant was he was free to discuss religion all he wanted to. We were not. This is a sidebar. All he said was we couldn't talk about it in class, so I went to his office. And I went and I respectfully said this. I said, can I ask you a question? You, you said no discussion of religion in class, but I want to ask you a question. What are you so angry about? He said, nobody's ever asked me that before. He said, I'll just be straight with you. You asked me. I was a photographer in, in Vietnam and what I saw and what human beings do to each other. There's no God. I said, basically, so you're basing your faith on what man does. I agree with him. If all I'm going to base my faith on is man, this is a hopeless world. And worms are going to eat us. Fifth and final argument. Now, this one gets serious here. Not that the rest of them are not. This one gets very serious. If Christ has not been raised, Christians are of all people to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now you've got to put yourself in first century Christianity to understand what this man means when he writes this. Because you freely gathered here today. Nobody stopped you. None of you are in threat tomorrow morning when you go to work, if you work on Monday, let's say Tuesday, 
When you go back to work, you're not going to be in threat of being fired because you went to church today. But in the first century, to identify with Christ meant to lose your job, your family, and possibly even your life. Now, here's what he's saying. If you're basing your life, your livelihood, and maybe even death on Christ, and there is no resurrection, I feel sorry for you. The world needs to pity you. So I don't know if you've seen the news this morning. So in Sri Lanka last or this morning, as Christians gathered in churches, they're the minority religion in Sri Lanka, as they gathered, seven to eight bombs went off in churches and hotels where Christians had gathered, and hundreds of them have been killed. If there is no resurrection, those people are to be pitied. And here's what I say to you. They start bombing churches in America. You'll find out who believes. They'll empty out in a hurry. And only those who are basing their life and their hope on Christ will remain. Look in verse 32 with me. If there is no resurrection, here's what Paul says. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised. So, so here's what the man said. He said, look, this is what a modern American would say. Well, I admire his faith. He's such an admirable man who would go into the arena with a beast to, to, to be slaughtered. He's such an admirable faith. Paul says, If I'm going to step into an arena with a lion that's going to eat me and there is no resurrection, I'm a fool. And here's what I ought to do. I ought to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I'm going to die. Read the rest of the verse. It's exactly what he says. Then my favorite word in the Bible, verse 20, but... <laughs> But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He does not say, modern American, but I feel like Christ has been raised. I think Christ has been raised. He says, in fact, Christ has been raised. Now, he's already stated the facts earlier. Look back in verse 3. For I delivered to you as first importance that I also received that Christ died with our, for our sins. This is crucial in accordance with the scripture. Here's what he's saying. The argument of the entire Bible from beginning to end is that there is a coming Messiah who's going to redeem his people from their sins. That he's going to die in accordance with the scripture. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day. And here it is again. In accordance with the scripture. It's the storyline of the scripture. That he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, if you have never truly considered the claims of Christ, if you've never truly pursued it, if you've just argued with somebody like me or a well-meaning Christian and you've never truly pursued it, let me challenge you to pursue on your own. And here's where you need to read your Bible. 
You need to read your Bible from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't start in Genesis, you'll get lost. You start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, I would start with the Gospel of John because here's what John says at the end. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's it's an explanation, a defense of who Jesus is. You'll find statements like Pastor Chad read earlier. He is not here for he is risen, as he said. He said he would, and he did. At the beginning of Romans, you you turn there if you want to, Romans chapter one. At the beginning of Romans, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. So the way letters were written in the New Testament, you signed it at the beginning instead of the end. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, here's that argument again. This is the story of the whole Bible. Concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's taken everything. Everything is riding on the truth of the resurrection. So here's the so what question. Everything you've heard me say at this point, so what? Here's the question. Ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and that he is Lord? C.S. Lewis, who was an avowed atheist who came to faith and later wrote a book called Mere Christianity. If you're a skeptic, let me recommend that book to you. Lewis wrote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. In fact, he had been at multiple newspapers uh, this was in the 80s. He, he, he was very well known. He was highly awarded. He's a graduate, master's degree from Yale. Intelligent, intelligent man, tremendous journalist. And he was an avowed atheist. Then his, his wife became a Christian. He wasn't very happy about it. So here's what he decided to do. He decided to take his investigative journalist mentality and skills and disproved to his wife that Christianity was true. He spent a year and a half, interviewed people all over the place, read and read and read, and things began to happen. Well, here here was the clincher conversation. He was meeting with Christian philosopher J.P. Moreland. And here's the argument that that Dr. Moreland put before Lee Strobel. He said, Lee, here's what I want you to think about. When they came and arrested Jesus, 
These men who had spent the last three years of their life with him, who had, who had left their fishing jobs, their tax collecting jobs, had left it all to follow Jesus. When he got arrested and killed, they scattered. They ran like roaches into the dark. But then, Lee, something happened. Slowly, these men started coming back. And again, they abandoned their life and livelihood, and not just them, but hundreds of others, abandoned their lives and livelihood in order to do one thing, to tell first century Israel and the Mediterranean that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave. Now, Lee, why would these people sacrifice their jobs, their families? Why would they face hardship and beating? Out of the disciples, 10 of the 11 remaining were executed for their preaching, and one was banished to an island. Why would these people subject themselves to even being executed for something they knew was false. He said, good intentions, no. They were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive from the dead. They saw him. They touched him. They ate with him. They knew that they were not hallucinating. This insight stunned me, Strobel wrote. The disciples didn't merely believe in the resurrection. They knew, it was, they knew whether it was fact or fiction. Had they known it was a lie, they would have never been willing to sacrifice their lives for it. Nobody willingly dies for something they know is false. They proclaimed the resurrection to their death for one reason. They knew it was true. But in fact, Jesus is risen from the dead. Strobel went home and he opened his Bible. I want you to turn there with me to John chapter one. John chapter one. Verse 11 reads, he came into his own and his own people did not receive him. That means they rejected him. Not all of them, but most of them rejected him. Then he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave the right to become the children of God. At this moment, Strobel cried out to Jesus to forgive him of his sin and to save him. And he's devoted the rest of his life to preaching and defending the Christian faith. He's written multiple books, and they've been helpful to many, and I pray today helpful to you. And I want you to notice something in verse 13. You are not a Christian because of blood. What does he mean there? People often say this, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I always whip back, I grew up in a brick home. Your parents' faith has no direct bearing on yours. 
It's highly influential one way or the other. But a person's faith is their own. You must believe. You don't inherit Christianity. Then he says, nor the will of the flesh. That means there's nothing you can do to earn favor with God. As I said earlier, coming to church, that's not earning favor. There was on the news last night and this morning that they opened up the stairs, reopened some stairs in Rome, and they were cleaning the blood off of them this morning as Christians climbed these steps in penance, somehow thinking they're earning something with God because they tortured themselves to show how miserable they are. I didn't earn them anything. You're not saved by the will of the flesh. Then he says, nor of the will of man. You don't stomp your foot and tell God to make you a Christian. It is the work of God. It is of God, he says. So how does God do this work? Now turn, if you want to, to 1 Peter. If you don't know where that's at, just listen to me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has, I'd underline this, caused us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what's he saying? What's he saying? And I pray this is happening to you because it happened to me. I wandered into a church. It wasn't, it wasn't the preacher was articulate. I don't remember what he said. In fact, it was a film strip. Okay. If you don't know what a film strip is, I'll tell you later. All I know is this, that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, whap, and my eyes flew open, and my ears were open, and I believed. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for me, that he rose again to prove that he is the Son of God. It is God who opened my eyes, and it is my prayer. If he's opening your eyes, that you will repent of your sin and cry out to him right now for salvation so that you can join every believer. Not to be pitied, but you can join every believer in this truth. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the encouragement. Now, Lord, I plead, I plead for the man or woman, young person here, some who have rejected Christianity because it's a, it's a hamper on their life. It hinders them from doing what they want to do. Lord, they got to they stare down the resurrection. They got to deal with the resurrection. Lord, I pray for the skeptic who, who has pushed it back and refused it. Lord, if you're dealing with them, I pray that they'd be like Strobel. They'd at least pursue reading the Bible and find out more. And you open their eyes that they would believe. Oh God, we thank you for the hope of salvation that is in Christ the Lord. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection that affects not only our life right now today, but for eternity. Thank you that you are our Lord and our God that you are our Savior. We bow before you as Lord, and we worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.